0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us online for worship here today at the Vista. If we haven't met, my name is Austin. I am one of our lead pastors, and we are so glad that you joined us today. Uh, Obviously, we cannot wait to meet together in person at our building, uh, but circumstances are just not allowing right now. But instead of being grumpy, and I've been grumpy plenty over the last couple months, uh, instead of being grumpy, we just want to embrace the opportunity that we have in front of us and make the best of it. I mean, if I had told you you know, previously, hey, you're going to get to go to church for a few months and you never even have to get out of your pajamas. You probably would have thought that sounded awesome. All right, so let's just make the best out of it. Uh, before we get started, though, I wanted to, to challenge you to do one thing, and we're all going to do this together. Uh, if you got your phone near you, and you probably do because you might be watching this on your phone, I want you to pull it out. And what I want you to do is invite somebody to join us for church today. Uh, so many people feel so isolated and alone right now. And it is the easiest invite you could ever make to church. I mean, literally, they don't have to leave their home to join us for worship today. So get your phone out. I'm going to get mine out. I'm inviting a buddy of mine who I've been meaning to invite for like a couple of months, but I always find a convenient excuse not to do it. And so I'm going to invite him. You get your phone out. Shoot somebody a text. Hey, do you want to join us online for worship today at the Vista? Here's the link. Bam. It's that simple. So I'm doing that. You make sure that you take a second now. Invite somebody to join us. Alright, my invite's done. You can take a little more time to get yours finished. As you do that, uh, I want to start worship off with just this psalm, this psalm that I really love, Psalm 146. We'll pick it up here in verse 5. The psalmist says, How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, who keeps the faith forever." who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but He thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. So if you can, stand up. Join us in singing. Fully participate in worship today. And again, thank you so much for joining us here at The Vista.
1: I won't forget the wonder of how you brought Deliverance, the exodus of my heart You found me, you freed me Held back the waters from my release without hope no place to begin your love darkness rejoices though heaven had lost the
2: birth-
3: Good morning, Vista family. Uh, once again, we just want to say thank you for tuning in uh, to worship with us. We're really glad that you've chosen to be a part this morning. Um, today, we are continuing in our sermon series that we've been in uh, throughout the summer entitled Did God Really Say? And if you're new uh, to the Vista, or maybe you're just kind of checking us out for the first time, this is a series where we're exploring some rather familiar statements that maybe you've heard or read. Um, and we're just asking ourselves the question, um, are those things really something that God said? Are those things really in the Bible? And so we've looked at a number of different issues and a number of different topics throughout the summer. Uh, and today, we're going to be looking at the issue of money and possessions and wealth, uh, asking ourselves the question Did God really say that money is the root of all evil? Did God really say money is the root of all evil? Maybe you've heard that statement again or seen that somewhere. Um, and I'll preface my sermon by saying this, um, whenever a pastor uh, talks about money, a lot of times there's this assumption that uh, maybe there's going to be a big ask, right? At the end of the sermon, we're going to come with a, we need a special offering for something or really about to challenge you to, to give uh, for some special reason. And I want to just kind of put you at ease this morning and, and say that there is no special ask uh, coming at the end of the message. Um, in fact, uh, I want to encourage you, we're actually, um, it's July, the end of July, and we're actually ahead of budget for the year, uh, which is really amazing. We've been in this COVID-19 stuff now for like over four months, and there was, just to be honest, there was a little bit of anxiousness about how that's all going to play out in regards to our giving. Um, there was I- I've talked to many pastors and friends that are in ministry and there's definitely churches out there that are struggling, um, that, are, that are hurting financially. Um, but we are, again, in July, and we're actually ahead of budget for the year. And so that speaks to your generosity as a church, and we're grateful for that. And we're really blessed to be in a position where we can continue to minister and serve and help meet needs. Because, again, we're at a, we're at a really good place. Um, full disclosure, we were a little behind during the month of June. Uh, but that's not really that, un- that unexpected. We often see a dip sometimes in, in the summer months. Um, and so, again, big picture snapshot, um, we're ahead of budget and we're doing really, really well. So, all that to say, a sermon on money uh, and, and possessions and wealth um, is not kind of leading up to some special ask that we're about to, we're about to lay on you, all right? Um, but this is a prominent misunderstanding that a lot of people really do believe that money is, is evil or that money is the root of all evil and that Scripture says or teaches something close to that. And so I want to just kind of explore this in our time together today. This comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing to uh, a young pastor, a friend of his named Timothy. And so we'll just look at the verse and here is what it says. Paul writes, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. I'll say that again. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. So you can see that Paul doesn't say that money itself is evil or wicked or bad, but rather he says that a love of money is, is a root, meaning there are other roots of evil um, in, in this world. And so, just to be clear right off the bat, that's not, again, it's often taken the wrong way. Now, we've said all along during this series that context matters. Anytime we look at these verses that are sort of prominent, popular verses on a particular topic, context Matters when we're looking at scripture. And so, just like we've done in the past several weeks, let's take a look at the context in which Paul writes this letter. Paul is writing to uh, a man named Timothy. Timothy was like a son to Paul. Uh, Timothy was not Paul's biological son, but uh, Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. Think of it this way Paul is an older pastor, and Timothy is a younger pastor. So, Paul has mentored Timothy, he's discipled Timothy, um, and he really wants the best for Timothy. And as a young pastor, Paul's trying to write to Timothy to warn him of the dangers of chasing after money rather than sticking to the mission that God had given him as a pastor. Paul loves Timothy. He wants Timothy to succeed in life and in ministry as a pastor, and so he wants him to avoid certain pitfalls and snares that can so easily entangle. It's really no different than what you want for people that you love, right? It's no different than what you would want for your children. You know, you want them to avoid certain sins and pitfalls and snares that can so easily get them off course, get them to chase after things they should never chase after that are not going to be good for them. And, And that's really, that's really what Paul is trying to get across to this young pastor named Timothy. And so with that in mind, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll start a little bit earlier in the text. Um, let's, let's start in verse 6 and see what Paul is telling him. Paul says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content." But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, here's our verse, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or many griefs. Read the next verse. Verse 11, he goes on to say, but as for you... O O man of God, he says, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And he goes on and then tells Timothy, reminds him to fight the good fight. So again, you've got an older pastor, Paul, writing to a younger pastor, Timothy. And Paul, with some experience in the game, he's like, Timothy, look, I have seen some some people get sidetracked. I have seen pastors, preachers, and teachers fall away From what God's called them to do because they begin to chase after money. They begin to chase after wealth, chase after possessions. And so he's just writing this as a word of warning to Timothy not to do those things. He's basically reminding Timothy that, look, you don't go into ministry to chase after dollars, okay? You don't chase after dollars, and you certainly don't use the name of God for personal financial gain, Okay? Sadly, we've seen many that do this very thing. Um, Austin and I both have talked to you, um, warned you really about the dangers of this, this prosperity gospel that is out there. And it's actually very much alive in certain Christian circles, right? Where... Um, It's This message of not chasing after dollars, not loving money, and not using God's name for personal gain is a message that many in that whole prosperity gospel crowd have just kind of missed. They've just kind of missed. And so, um, again, just to remind you, the the prosperity gospel, uh, the message of the prosperity gospel is that... um, That God really wants you to be rich and to have nice things, and that the way you attain those nice things is you have enough faith. You have more faith, okay? So money then is seen as a reward for a strong faith in God, all right? And so the idea being that if you don't have nice things, you don't have money, your life's not going well, then you must not have a very strong faith, okay? That's the problem with the prosperity gospel. Really, the prosperity gospel, at the end of the day, the problem is they love money, they love money. That becomes their chief pursuit, and they've learned how to take some Scripture and, and language and, and get what they want. And so it's very, very dangerous. We've, again, we've talked about the prosperity gospel a lot, so hopefully by now you know from this church that, that that's a false gospel. Now, there's another false gospel out there, and that's the other extreme. That's the other extreme. The other extreme to a prosperity gospel is what we call a poverty Gospel, Okay? A poverty gospel believes the statement that we started with. A poverty gospel says that money itself is the root of all evil. That money itself is evil, wicked, and bad. And therefore, they live and, and, and they act as if, again, money is the problem. Money itself becomes the problem. And they, they sort of treat people that have money as if they're always the problem. It's this poverty idea, and there's a lot of places in the Bible I could take you and point you to show you that that's that's not an idea that is is again um, that goes with goes with scripture any more than the prosperity gospel does. Well, look at one um, Deuteronomy chapter eight verse eighteen. Way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter eight verse eighteen, uh, the writer of Deuteronomy says, "You shall remember the Lord your God." For it is he who gives you the power, some texts say the ability, to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, um, as it is this day. And so the writer, all the way back in the Old Testament, says God's the one that gives the ability or the power for you to attain Wealth. God's the one that gives you the ability to work hard and to attain those things. And so, money itself is not evil, wicked, or bad. Money can be used for a lot of good. Money can be used to help and bless a lot of people. So, money itself is not the problem, but rather it's the love of that money above above other things. There's other examples I could take you to. Matthew 25. Um, you don't have to turn there, but. You can go and read it later if you want, just to be refreshed and reminded. But there's a story in there called the Parable of the Talents. And and I would remind you that in the Parable of the Talents, you have a master who gives three different servants different amounts of money. And they're to steward that money. They're to take care of that money. They're to invest that money. And I would remind you that in that story, when the master returns, two of the servants had invested the money wisely, and they had made more money From the little bit they were given. And those servants are the ones that are blessed. Those servants are the ones that are given more. But it's the servant that literally does nothing with what the master gave him that is cast out, and what he has is taken and given to others. And so, it's just a message to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, money itself is not evil or wicked or bad. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. So is a poverty gospel gospel at the end of the day both of these extremes are unbiblical and they're dangerous at the end of the day both of these extremes are rather prideful and self-righteous again one says man i have a deeper faith and i'm more holy than you because i have all these things god must really love me god must really appreciate my faith in him because he's obviously you know given me a lot and you just need to have more faith like I do. And the other one says, no, no, I'm, I'm more like Jesus because money's bad. And I obviously have a deeper faith because I don't have all the stuff that you have, right? And so you can kind of see how both of these extreme views of money and wealth are, are dangerous and, and lead to a lot of self-righteousness and, and pride. The question is not, are you rich or are you poor? The question is not, do you have money or do you not have money? The question is, where is your heart? Who or what belong, do, do, does your heart belong to? Money is something that you can have, but the question would be does it have you? Does money have you? If we're honest, when we talk about money, um, I think most of us would have to acknowledge that we are rather rich by the world's standards, right? Most of us, when it comes to whether we're rich or poor, um, when we look at the world's kind of standard of living, um, we would have to just acknowledge that we are on the rich side of things, right? We're really pretty far on the rich side of things, okay? Uh, and I could give you a lot of different examples of that. I've talked about that before. Um, just a couple I can think of. Like, for example, I carry around in my pocket a, a computer. Like, I carry around in my pocket a device that does a number of different things, Okay. And it's crazy, but if you had told me when I was a kid growing up in the 80s or even the early 90s that I I would have a device in my pocket that I can talk to anybody I want to talk to. I can call them. Um, I can – it it, it holds a ton of pictures. I can take pictures. I can hold pictures. I can listen to music. Um, It's got a flashlight on it. It's got a calculator on it. I can get on this thing called the Internet. And I can literally, at, at just the, the touch of a button, I can explore and have access to all kinds of information, uh, sports scores and highlights. And I mean, th- it's really limitless when it comes to information that you can get off of this thing. I can send out emails. I can respond to emails. Um, there's this thing on here where I can, it's called FaceTime, right, where I can, I can literally press a button, and not only can I talk to whoever I want to, but they can see me, and I can see them. Okay? Okay. Uh, there, I can check business stats and, 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 I mean, there's just, it's unbelievable all of the stuff that I can do at the touch of a button, and I carry this device around, most of us carry this device around just in our pockets. And I am not even, like, technologically savvy. I'm probably the least technologically savvy on our whole church staff. My phone doesn't have half of the apps that everybody else's phones have, and yet I have all of that stuff at my fingertips, Right? I mean, that would have been crazy futuristic stuff to 7, eight, 9, 10-year-old Dave. I would have said, man, if that's true, then, man, I am going to be really, really rich in the future if I can do all of that. Most of us carry a device like that around, and we just kind of, man, we take it for granted. We take it for granted. If one of our apps isn't working right, man, our whole day is messed up, right? We've talked about it before. Like, you know, if you... If you drive a car, man, you're, you're among the, the top wealthiest people on the planet. If you live in a house, if you own a home, you're in the top wealthiest people on the planet. Last time I talked about money uh, a while back, I, I talked about the fact that when we go to some of these countries and do mission trips and mission work, we build houses and things for people. But, a, but literally, a lot of the buildings and what people live in, um, they're, they're, they're not even as nice as our garages and our barns. Like, most people live in conditions that, you know, are worse than what we would park our car in and store our extra stuff in. And so just, again, a brief reminder that if we're honest, most of us are on on the rich side of the spectrum, okay? Most of us. And here's the thing about that. Like, it's not something we have to, you know, feel guilty about because money is self is not the problem but there is some responsibility that comes along with having those things there is some responsibility specifically for believers um, there's there's a responsibility or a calling from god when it comes to the stuff that we have the money that we have and so let's just look at back at first timothy chapter six let's look at what paul tells timothy to say to the rich in his church okay timothy had rich people in his church and so, Paul's going to actually instruct Timothy as a young pastor, here's how you instruct the rich in your church. And let's see what we can learn from that. If we can agree that we are the rich, maybe it'd be important what Paul would say to them. And so, here's what it says back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God gives us nice things because He's a good God, and some of those things are for our enjoyment, okay? He goes on then in verse 18 and says, "...they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life." Listen, we don't have to feel guilty about having money. However, there is responsibility before God. We're told very clearly in the text, right? Timothy was to tell the the rich in his church, first of all, do good. Be generous, okay? Do good. Be generous. Listen, don't find your hope in your riches, It's okay to have those things, but don't find your hope in that thing. Don't find your satisfaction in that stuff. Do good, be generous, look for ways that you can be a blessing. We've said it this way before, that that God has maybe blessed you, but the purpose is not so that you can spend everything on you and completely and totally just bless yourself. The purpose is so that you can then look for opportunities to be generous and to be a blessing to other people. You've been blessed to be a blessing is kind of something we've said before right? To understand that with what you've been given, you're a steward, not an owner. God has given you these things so that you can steward them well for Him, and part of stewarding them well for Him is using what you have to be a blessing to other people and to practice generosity. That's what Paul tells Timothy to tell the rich in his church, and I think it's a really good word for us who are rich in our church and in our day and in our culture. Wealth isn't evil. Money isn't evil. Money itself is not the problem. The love of money is the problem. Because when you love money more than people, you will put money and achieving those things and chasing after that above your, your care and your concern for other people. And this is all what Paul is reminding Timothy. So here's the thing. Maybe you've kind of been listening to this and you're like, well, how do I know then? If I am among the rich, how do I know if I love money too much? How do I know? Well, I don't know if I can completely answer that question for you, but I think it's going to require just kind of some introspection. It's going to require you to ask yourself um, some questions and be really honest with yourself when it comes to the answers to those questions. And so uh, Hopefully, this will provide a bit of a framework, but here are are some questions I think you need to ask yourself. We all, we need to ask ourselves when it comes to whether we love money or not, all right? So, first of all, ask yourself this, do I think money will solve all or most of my problems? Whatever your problems are, whatever your issues, your struggles, whatever griefs and anxieties you have… Do you find yourself constantly and continually thinking that, that, man, if I just had more money, money would really solve my problems? If you answer yes to that, then maybe, maybe you love money too much. You think money is going to be the answer to all of it. Another question, do I think more money will make me more happy? Do I fundamentally think that more money is going to make me a more happy person? If so, you'll be tempted to pursue money at all costs in order to gain the happiness that you want. Another question, do I think money will make me more significant or important? Now, let's be honest. If you have more money and you can purchase nicer things to be seen by others, there's no doubt that the world may see you as more significant and more important. You know, you can use money to put on whatever kind of facade you want to put on, And so maybe in the eyes of others, you'll be deemed as more significant or important, but the question is really for you to answer for yourself. Do you think in your heart that if you had more money, in your own eyes, that you would be more significant and more important? If so, you may love money too much. Another question is, do I have a hard time? Just ask yourself, do I have a hard time ever really being generous to others? Do I have a hard time letting go Of money and and being a blessing to someone else if you have a hard time parting with it if you always find yourself man i have a hard time parting with this thing then it's probably an indication that you might love it a little too much finally ask yourself do i ever feel like i have enough do i ever feel content am i am i ever really content with what i have or do you find that you're someone that, no, no, even when you attain that thing, that next thing, that you're always then looking for the next thing? That you're never really at a place of contentment? And if the honest answer is yes, then you probably love money a bit too much. Just some questions you can ask yourself. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, reminds us, the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Think about that. Those who love money are not gonna be satisfied with money. I mean the text is is pretty clear. You know, Paul says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and then the Ecclesiastes tells us that those who love money, they're never gonna be satisfied with money. You're never gonna be satisfied with your income, you're never gonna be satisfied with your wealth. As long as, as that is your chief pursuit. Pretty remarkable statement. Pretty remarkable statement. In my experience, the people that I know that are the most content people are, are often not the people that have the most, but they're the people that want the least. I'll say that again. The people I know who are the most content are not the people who have the most. They're often the people that want the least, maybe even the people that need the least. Um, I could give a lot of examples. One of the most content people I know is my dad. Um, my parents, they don't live in like a really big fancy house. They don't live in like some upscale neighborhood. They actually live in a rather uh, low, lower income neighborhood in a pretty small house. Um, they're, they're definitely not not, not rich uh, by American standards. Um, but my dad he's like the hardest person to shop for, right? If you know someone that's really content, they're really hard to shop for. Birthdays, Christmas, Father's Day, like even though they don't have much, he just never really wants or needs anything. Every time it's time to get him a gift, I always struggle with like, I don't have any idea what to get him cuz he's just so content and it's not because he has the most, but it's just because he just wants the least. He just needs, he doesn't need stuff. To be happy, we've done uh, mission trips all over the world, and again, some of the most content people I find are people in countries that have a fraction of what you and I have. They have a fraction of what you and I have, and yet there is smiles on their faces and there's joy in their hearts because they don't need all the stuff that we think we need in order to be content. And so, what's the remedy? What's the remedy? What's the fix, man, if you find yourself loving money too much? What how do we how do we fix that? Well, the way you fix a love for money is not to pursue and attain more more money. The way that you fix a love for money is that you begin to practice generosity. That you begin to build into your life regular habits and patterns of generosity. It's one of the reasons here at the church we often use this phrase that when it comes to giving, it's not what God wants from you, it's what God wants for you. Because again, the fix to the love of money and to contentment is not to keep doing the same things you've been doing in order to get more. The fix is to begin to build these habits and practices of regular generosity and giving into your life. So we try to make that easy here. We make it so easy. You can go online, and, 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 and that can become a regular habit and a regular pattern just like that. And listen, I know some of you, man, you've just started to give. That's great. Maybe you give just one or two percent, right? Maybe, maybe it's time to, to try to go a little bit deeper, give three or four percent. You know, some of you are tithers where you take the Old Testament principle and rule of tithing and you still use that. That's great. That's a 10%. Maybe some of you have been giving 10% for decades and decades and decades, and maybe the challenge for you would be, man, I want to begin to practice more generosity. I'm going to give 11%. I'm going to try to tick that up a little bit. I don't know. Maybe for some of you, you haven't been giving at all. The idea of giving... Um, is, is just kind of a crazy idea. And maybe for you, a place to start would be give, man, just give one or two percent. But the way to fix the love for money is to begin to build into your life regular habits and regular patterns of generosity. And that's our challenge because that is what we're called to do according to Scripture. And if you begin to do that, if you begin to build into your life those regular habits and patterns of generosity, you'll notice. How God, over time, it may not happen right away, but over time, God will begin to just free your soul from so much of the anxiousness and the discontentment that rules and reigns in your heart. I want to end with the words of Jesus regarding money. The words of Jesus regarding money, found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, and then verse 24. This is the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. "...do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." And down in verse 24 he says, "...no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other." You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is, is pretty clear. He's pretty clear. We've said this before, but at the end of the day, God is after your heart. He's after your heart. And so he's saying, look, whatever you treasure most, whatever you really love the most, that is where your heart's going to be. That is where your heart's going to be. And the problem with loving money is that that becomes what we treasure most, and that is where our heart resides. Our heart chases after money. Instead, he's saying, look, our heart, if it belongs to the Lord, if it belongs to Jesus, our heart needs to chase after Jesus. And again, it's not a prosperity gospel, and it's not a poverty gospel. We don't fall on either extreme, but we say our heart belongs to Jesus. It does not belong to money, possessions, and wealth. And so we live with generosity, and we live out the calling that God has placed on our lives to be a blessing to the people around us. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're grateful for um, just your goodness to us, God. You've been so unbelievably good to us. And I pray, Father, we would realize today that really we are rich. God, that we are rich in you. We are rich, God, because of your finished work at the cross through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, um, we're grateful for the blessings that you have given each of us. And we're sorry for the times where we take those blessings for granted. Maybe, God, for times we sort of assume that we're entitled to certain blessings. God, we just ask for your forgiveness for that, because we're not. God, I pray that you would help us, those of us that are rich, by the world standards. Father, that we would we would see um, that, that richness, God, those riches as an opportunity to be a blessing to the people around us, that we would learn, God, to be generous and that we would, God, put regular habits and patterns of generosity, we would build that, God, into our life. God, give us the courage to do that. And then, God, we pray that you would do what you do and you would just begin to free us from so much of the anxiousness and the discontentment that often rules and reigns in our heart. God, may we find freedom from those things because of our our love for you first and foremost. We pray this today. I pray this for your church in Christ's name. Amen. We, uh, of course, as always, want to give you a moment to respond today. And so uh, Jordan is going to come back out. and Jordan and the band, they're going to lead us in a a song of worship. And uh, we just invite you kind of where you are in your living room or, or wherever you're watching, uh, just to take a moment and, and respond to what maybe God has said to you today. Um, there's a lot of ways you can do that, as always. there's You can stand and you can sing the song along with us and worship God. You can sit where you're sitting and just reflect. Maybe you need to have a time or a season of prayer or confession or repentance. Um, you can do that. If you'd like to talk or pray with someone, you can call the number on the screen and one of our prayer team members would be happy to talk with you, pray with you uh, about anything that you'd like to talk or pray about. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe some of you need to even make this more practical. Maybe some of you today or, or early this week need to, need to sit down and, and, and look at your budget and just ask, man, where's, where's our money? Where's our possessions? Where's our wealth? Where do our finances go? And, and take a look at that and, and ask, where are we being generous when it comes to our budget and our finances, where are the places where we're being generous? And if there's not any, or there's not much, maybe um, maybe start to build some regular habits or patterns of generosity into, into that. So however you need to respond today, um, we just want to give you some time to do that, and then hopefully that response continues on in your life, um, not just right now, but on into the, the days, weeks, and months, and years ahead. As always, we're so grateful for you guys. Thanks for tuning in and worshiping with us. Uh, have a great week, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you next Sunday.
4: Vista before you go I wanted to make sure you knew about our summer campaign that's kicking off. So every year we've been working with our different school districts to make sure that kids are prepared to go back to school. Now I know this year things are a little different we're not sure exactly what going back to school means but nonetheless at some point in the near future kids will be going back into a classroom and they're gonna need some basic essentials to make sure they're prepared for a great year. And so every year, Vista partners with uh, Project Apple Tree and with Backpack Buddies that's supporting both Belton and Temple to make sure the kids are taken care of. Now, we would normally ask you guys to run out to the store and to have a shopping list for each kid telling you exactly what what, uh, to purchase. But in light of everything happening, we decided to make it a little easier for you this year. So this year, we're gonna be purchasing in bulk from some local businesses all the supplies. But to do that happen, we need you to help us to sponsor several of the kids. And so what that looks like is simply going online to the vista.tv slash city, and you can select to sponsor a child or two or ten, whatever uh, is good for you and your family. And so by making that donation to sponsor that child, we're going to be then able to go and purchase all the supplies we need to cover several of the schools in our community. So we love your help and the way you guys always turn out to make this happen. And even though we're not going to the stores, we still think we can have a huge impact by making those donations online to sponsor a student. We're also trying to get a better feel for the teachers that are here at Vista. We know so many things are coming up and we want to make sure we know who our teachers are so we can help to support you in any way we can. So if you're a teacher and you call Vista home, we would ask you to let us know by uh, filling out a basic form online at thevistatv slash teacher. Now when it comes to when we'll be able to regather for in-person services, as we've mentioned the last few weeks, we're gonna continue to take that as a week by week approach. So tomorrow afternoon, our elders will be on a call together. Uh, We'll be talking with the public health department, some medical experts, and we'll also be talking with local area pastors to try to determine the best course of action for our church. Uh, At this point, we're gonna continue to take it week by week but when we decide that we are ready to reopen, we will let everybody know through social media and email. And if you have the Vista app, we'll even send you a push notification. So don't worry, you won't miss it, I promise. But we, you know, like all of you, we long for the day we can gather again safely in our building. And we're taking all the steps we can to try to make that happen uh, as fast as possible while still being realistic about the situation our community is facing right now. So we'll keep you guys updated. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you soon.